Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor, Stone Payton, another episode of GSU ENI Radio. We're here on the campus of Georgia State University, and we are in the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Institute once again, Stone. It's going to be a fun one. I love coming down here and broadcasting live. We get a chance to meet so many bright, passionate folks. The energy here at the GSU ENI is just, uh, it's palpable. Yeah, usually we have some students. I don't know if there's any students here today, but we'll find out, right? Hey, this is going to be fantastic. First up in our first episode today here on GSU ENI Radio, we have with us Professor of Business at Emory University, Mr. Jag Sheth. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Well, Jag, what brings you to GSU? Uh, GSU is one of my favorite spots <laughs> in Atlanta. I'm a professor at Emory University. But I really enjoy GSU because of the diversity of students. Mm-hmm. So many first-generation college students. Right. And as the name would imply, it is very entrepreneurial. Now, um, how long have you been affiliated with Georgia State? Uh, I'm not in any kind of a formal affiliation, except I'm on the board of World Affairs Council, mm-hmm. which is independent but housed at GSU. And we have been involved in giving back to the country or giving back to the society. And my foundation supports two programs at GSU. And then did you develop those programs or were they already in existence and then you kind of jumped on board? Uh, The program, one was created here, but it was basically something that we had done at University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, University of Pittsburgh, and uh, Family Foundation now is doing in Atlanta at all the major universities. And what is that? Uh, Primarily to identify, recognize through internal nomination process, the best foreign student who came to America at GSU and did exceptionally well either back in her country, his country, or in America. Mm -hmm. So they identify a candidate. And then similarly, a faculty member who has taken the program, discipline, whatever discipline they are, could be education, could be healthcare, could be business, whatever they are, and have internationalized it. What does internationalized that mean? That means they have taken the program abroad, either as a discipline, research, or starting an institution someplace, or going and being a resource at some other campus outside of the country. So now, how do you find the uh, climate here? With the you mentioned a diverse student body. Yes, uh, which is the excitement. Uh, the kinds of candidates who are nominated by the faculty or the departments. And we do have the vice provost here, obviously, who is in charge of that program. I think the process is very, very interesting Mm -hmm. in terms of the caliber of people that come up for nomination and the ultimate selection done by the committee. And then for you, um, how involved are you? you What does on the board mean? Are you actually choosing the winners? Oh, no, no, absolutely not. That's the last thing you want to do where the donor gets involved in the selection. So you're providing the framework that allows them? Providing the framework, the criteria, and basically encouraging other foreign students to excel, Mm -hmm. contribute back to the society. Now, has there been a foreign student that has won that has kind of made an impact for you? Were you like, uh, can you tell a story about somebody who has succeeded? In this, uh, this is the second year at GSU. Mm-hmm. And other campuses, we have done this almost more than a decade. Right. Uh, but the first recipients last year, it's incredible. The faculty side actually is the dean of public health. But in his own right, he's a top, top scholar. And it's wonderful to see him being recognized by the peers by their own colleagues, and the student came from China, and I think he's on the faculty of Georgia Tech now, right, or is it Georgia State? He's in Beijing, actually. He's in Beijing, right, correct. Now, are you seeing, like uh, Georgia State, you mentioned the diverse student population, is that um, in in the universities you work with around the country, that's kind of unusual, right, to have this level of diversity? I totally agree. Uh, Being an urban metro university, it will have more access to people 
of basically disadvantaged communities, whatever they are. Right. Uh, they, they who need the education to get out from where they are, essentially, being urban. You do have the Kennesaw State nearby, but it is not in the urban setting. Right. So the when I come on the campus here, I really enjoy the diversity of students in the evening. <laughs> that are going in and out pretty much, and it's just fascinating, and I just enjoy that very much. And then this is this is kind of the microcosm of America, right? Yes. This is the melting pot in action. Absolutely, absolutely. This is the melting pot. The nice thing about Atlanta is that Atlanta is a city that is, has a positive attitude. Mm-hmm. It's a city where people feel I can do things. Like know? it's possible. It's possible, exactly. And so that's exciting again. Mm-hmm. So Atlanta is trying to reposition itself as a major U.S. metro, but more importantly, becoming a global hub city. Now, are you seeing that starting to happen? Uh, it is already happening in several industries. Uh, uh, my own view has been for several years now that Atlanta has all the ingredients but no recipe. Mm-hmm. And that means has to have a vision, has to have some game plan, strategy behind. And that is they're trying to discover. It has all the right ingredients. Do you have a recipe that you want to share? Uh, yes. I think, uh, first of all, like all cities, you cannot be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. So you have to focus and you have to leverage your competencies and how do you invest more in those. Out of nowhere, Atlanta is becoming the automotive capital of America. It used to be Detroit. Right. Last century was all Detroit. 21st century, in about 10, 15 years, we'll talk about Atlanta as a Metro, I mean, motor town, which is so unusual. Right. Should be Los Angeles, you know, should be somewhere, you know, some other place. But out of nowhere, and it is happening by five major German automakers all making Atlanta or near Atlanta, Southeast, as their hub. And that's kind of, uh, it's under the radar. It's uh, The average Atlantan may not see Abs- that coming, right? Absolutely. And automotive is a very key industry because... It is not as much on the demand side. Once you make the car, it's only two-step, a dealer and the consumer. Mm-hmm. But this is five-step deep supply chain. Right. Savannah Port is very critical in the process. Right. The, place. So, and that's something that the people of the state of Georgia may not appreciate, the importance of having the Savannah Port absolutely. as well as an international airport. We are kind of uniquely positioned to really serve the supply chain. Absolutely. And many of the components in automobile industry – surprisingly, are all about chips and software. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have a railroad to ship it that. Right. It's all airline, <laughs> air freight, you know, which is a very major air, airport we have, which has an air cargo, as big a business growing as it is for passengers. So now, um, are there any other industries that are kind of under the radar? That yes, you're... there are two more industries. Uh, surprisingly, out of nowhere, Atlanta has become the entertainment capital. Right. Uh, it we kind of snuck in there over the last in. decade, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. It's supposed to be New Orleans, for your information. <laughs> was it? That was originally yeah, the... Absolutely, and they had given the incentives. Uh, but two governors ago, Governor Bobby Jindal took out lots of those perks that were given, like the tax He credit, took them away? Took them away. Oh. And, and that... the industry moved here. We took the advantage, and the rest is history. Right, and that and that's a relatively short time to have that big of an impact. That shows you that where you can have that public-private kind of partnership really can make an impact if it's done right. Absolutely. And the interesting, again, in all these cases is it's the foreign companies who are investing and discovering Atlanta, not our own domestic companies. Is that, is that good or bad? I think it's actually quite good because it will motivate the domestic companies also to hub here mm-hmm. because this is a – Place where the land is relatively inexpensive and accessible, available near the metro area, which right. is very unusual. I mean, this is a city carved out of a forest. Right. And plenty of opportunities compared to, let's say, New York, New Jersey, Los Angeles, San Francisco. They're so expensive. Still a very affordable city. Young people all would like to come and stay here now. Climate is not very extreme like tropical in Florida right. or very cold. Uh, but the entertainment side is very key because it is Pinewood Studios, which is a British studio in its global architecture invested here. Now it is privatized, as you know, recently, which will attract other studios. Nice thing about focusing on specific industries like automotive is that you don't have to deal with nations all over the world, but only a handful of cities. Mm-hmm. So, for example, 
In the entertainment, you have to deal with Bollywood in India, which is largest. Like Hollywood, there's a Bollywood. Sure. So how do we link with Bollywood, which is one city only, or maybe two cities? Fourth largest movie producer in the world actually is Nigeria. Really? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Came as, a, as much surprise to me as you, it does to you. <laughs> it's fascinating. So we identify the city, which is their Hollywood. Similarly, Korea, Seoul is fantastic because they're getting into digital technology, mm-hmm. which is what movies are all about now more right. and more. And then Beijing is rising. China is the largest consumer of movies, and China will be the largest producer of movies. So we have to identify five cities in the world and city-by-city city engagement, and you have now a global architecture. And then so you figure out creative ways to partner with them. Exactly. So create win-win opportunities. Exactly. And entertainment is an industry where it is pretty much a gig economy. Mm-hmm. You have the people waiting and you buy project, you know, buy a movie right. project or a television series. So you can get people from all over the world to come here for three months, four months. And I must tell you, talent is incredible here, not just from Atlanta or Georgia, but uh, North Carolina. Right. South you get Carolina. to t- tap into the whole Southeast. Exactly. Precisely. And then in this kind of environment, if there's enough projects going on, the person will say, hey, why don't I just move here? Absolutely. Because I can jump from one project. You have to have that density, right? It's a chicken and egg thing. You have to have a cluster, as you right? call it. Exactly right. And then you're seeing that. You mentioned uh, automotive film. Yeah. and what is Those are the top two that you would focus in yeah, on right with, now? No. Within the film, digital media is the future. Everything is going digital. Right. So that could include gaming. It could include exactly. other kinds of entertainment like music, a lot of other. Precisely. And we have a talent, surprisingly, quite a lot. And uh, universities like GSU, Georgia State, many others are now creating programs to increase more talent pool mm-hmm. around here, uh, which I think is great. Because yeah. now they're, we're attracting um, maybe higher up in the call sheet jobs, yes. right? Yes, Not, absolutely. And then that way we can train our own here and then they can stay here. Precisely. This is a, still an agricultural economy. Georgia as a state is moving into manufacturing, automobile now coming right. in, which is a higher wage than textiles, which it used to be at one time. You have to now go from whatever the automobile manu- uh, worker gets it, let's say $30 per hour loaded cost to the you know, uh, benefits and everything. You have to go to $85, $90 per hour wages which is only in the digital technology. Right. Come on. And then the economy here in Georgia is so diverse. You have those, but you also have a big tech component, right? Exactly. You have healthcare IT. Yeah. You have fintech. I mean, a lot of people Pre- don't realize how much credit card processing happens Precisely. around the city. Which is the third area I was going to talk That's, about. <laughs> Sorry, really. I didn't mean to. Spoil, <laughs> no, spoiler alert. No, technology is the key base. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, even in the automobile Automobile of the future will be less metal bending and more embedding software and chips. The largest cost of assembling a car today are all chips. Display, monitor, control. Automobile is the first place where I can create a truly integration of voice and video, voice and data, for example. I can have a server and a switch in the automobile, and the automobile can actually become a moving base station. I don't have to build base stations for wireless technology. The world is all going wireless. So I've done significant research on this one at General Motors in the tech center, thinking about the future. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite, quite pleased that automotive industry is clustering in Atlanta. So now, um, how does 5G impact all of this? Uh, 5G is inevitable because in this architecture of going more and more automation, what you have is what is called IoT, the Internet, Internet of, of Things, things exactly. Right? And then IoT means you will be embedding more things of all places. We will embedding smart, create smartness into dumb things, essentially. Mm-hmm. And my comment has been, as we make devices smart, people will become dumb. <laughs> Do you think that's what will happen? That will be the evolution? Think about the calculators. Before calculators, we did everything by ourselves. Right. Today, I cannot calculate anything without a calculator. You don't have, you don't have to remember a phone number. Yeah. All your numbers and memory are exactly. going to be replaced, right? right? So that IoT, one key sector in Georgia, not necessarily in Atlanta, although urban farming is coming, is agriculture. Mm-hmm. So how do you make smart agriculture? Agriculture is still pretty primitive in the way we do it, even though we have mechanized it. 
but is still not smart. And there could be a lot of efficiency, improvement, and conservation that can come about. That's IoT. Uh, factories is IoT. Universities are big IoT. Mm-hmm. And we have a large number of universities in one location, just like Boston has, for example, or New York. But we are quite big, four major universities, research-oriented, and about a dozen colleges. So you are talking about a major education center here. And healthcare, as you mentioned, is clearly the next major industry that I see. And then uh, you mentioned having all of the ingredients for the recipe. So you're, so that's that's part of it, having kind of a robust academic kind of infrastructure already built in. Absolutely. You have talent now in here because the young people are kind of coming to those places. You have the port. You have the uh, airport. There's a lot of good stuff happening around okay. this. And therefore, the missing ingredient in the recipe, which is sitting there, is how do you get the academic universities and colleges integrated with the city council on the one hand, mayor's office essentially, and also into the Georgia state level. Mm-hmm. But academic has to be involved in the future of shaping future of Atlanta. From a research standpoint? Not only research, but community engagement from a teaching viewpoint, attracting mm-hmm. student viewpoint, for right. example. Uh, just to tell you, we have a CDC in our backyard. Right. I'm told by my colleagues at Emory University we do 3,000 clinical trials annually in this city or in Georgia, which is quite a lot. So healthcare delivery, not pharma, which is in New, New Jersey primarily, uh, but it's very fascinating. And healthcare delivery is the last mile problem. That'll get digitized. That'll get smart more and more. Has to. There's no way out. And given that, again, and the ultimate ingredient which belongs in the academic community is chips and software. Right. And then what about from a leadership standpoint? Is there people that are building these bridges to all these different groups? Uh, yes, there are leaders, definitely. Atlanta is blessed with leaders. Whether you have Andrew Young, ambassador, for example, leading what he does in terms of civil rights and other activities, or you have uh, uh, one who organized uh, the 1996 Olympics, for example. Mm-hmm. Nobody thought Atlanta will ever bid even. Right. He had to have the vision to believe, right? And got everybody together. What happens is that if you want somebody to lead, he or she cannot be part of any of the institution. Mm -hmm. Should be independent. So an outsider. Insider. Insider, outsider. outsider. (laughs) Right. He has to have a connection, (laughs) but he has to kind of be independent. Absolutely right. So now speaking of um, kind of social impact, social entrepreneurship, and international initiatives, we have quite a crew here today, don't we? Yes, we do. We do. So uh, do you want to introduce your colleagues? Yes, I can introduce uh, to my right, which All you right. can't see, obviously, <laughs> is uh, Ambassador Charles Shapiro. Uh, I'm telling you, he's one of those uh, talent and asset. I'm so glad Atlanta was able to attract a brilliant career diplomat was in California, almost in a paradise situation. <laughs> this and isn't paradise? I thought we were in paradise here. <laughs> we are the tropical paradise. So that's Charles Shapiro. All right. Welcome, Charles. Thanks. Pleasure. So tell us about your role at Georgia State. Okay, well, I'm embedded at Georgia You're State embedded? is a better way to put it. Uh, the World Affairs Council is a nonprofit uh, Georgia State gives us office space in their mm-hmm. Buckhead offices. So uh, we do that. And we, we and a whole bunch of back office support. But they don't support the organization directly with funding. So um, this is about entrepreneurship. We're an entrepre- entrepreneurial organization. I uh, have to raise the money for everything that we do. We put on about a program a week uh, on average. Uh, I've got a bunch of great programs coming up between now and the end of the year. And our goal is to get Atlanta and Atlantans to think globally. Exactly. So and that there's a disconnect. A lot of entrepreneurs think just in their own backyard, and you're saying to kind of oh, unbelievably so. Um, most companies in the U.S. don't export at all, and if they do, they export to one country, and that country is called Canada because they feel very comfortable doing business right. in Canada, and so. I mean, 95% of the world's consumers are outside the U.S. So if you want your business to grow, 
Um, Silly to ignore that. You've got to. There's great opportunities there. And actually, I teach a course at Georgia State in the Executive MBA program, and that's the whole purpose of my course is to take these students who are mid-career professionals and get them to look beyond the the boundaries of the U.S. for doing business. So now why do you think that they are kind of staying domestic? Well, it's easier to do business at home. I mean, you feel very comfortable. We've got this gigantic domestic market that's continental size with 320 million consumers in the U.S. and fairly standard laws across the country. So it's really easy to do business in the United States. It's easy to spend your whole life in the United States. Only 25% of Americans have passports, which is – 25%? 25%. And that's extraordinary compared to other countries around the world. Like what's the other countries like typical – um, do they have, I would say in Germany, it's pretty close to 100%. Probably. Yeah. Well, it's because, it's, I mean, the countries are easier to... There I mean, you go. That's you, just part, you, like, you, the countries are like states there. Like, they're close yeah. together. They're, well, they're, they're relatively small, right. and people want to travel, and if you want to go to the beach, you want to go to the mountains, you want right. to go you skiing... You have to go you, to another you, country you, to you, do you that. Need a, you need a passport to do that. But if you're an academic, if you want to do business, if you want to find markets, you've got to deal outside your own country. And that's the goal of my class. And that, in, in many ways, is part of what we're doing at the World Affairs Council. Uh, we're, we're technically embedded in the Robinson College of Business, the mm-hmm. business school at Georgia State. To encourage kind of global trade. Exactly. And most, I mean, you can have a great career as a radio broadcaster, as an accountant, as a dentist, and never leave the United States. Maybe go on holiday to London, right? Want to go someplace where people speak English. Um and and what we're trying to do is we is is Dr. Sheth was explaining we've got this fabulous infrastructure here we've got companies from all over the world people from all over the world now it's time for us Atlantans and Georgians to think globally as well so now what are some baby steps for companies well the the it, the first thing is to it's a yeah, mi- you're, 75% have to get a passport that's well, first thing <laughs> it, it's, it's it's a it's a mindset and that's the key thing. Really? So just to even just, just to entertain think. the thought. So I had a I had a woman in my class last semester whose business is providing services to water treatment plants, and she told me. I mean, it makes you feel this is this is why you're doing it. Doctor Sheth realizes this every day. I mean, this is why you're doing it. She said, "I never occurred to me." She said, "It's like the blinders fell off my eyes that I could do business outside the United States, and I'm going to do it." So she thought the only water problems were in America. She just thought, I'm here, it's American business, and this is what I'm going to do. And so for her, it's like, oh, bam. Okay. All right, this is the pot calling the kettle black. We've had three conversations this week, Lee, you and I, with people around the country about opening up a Business Radio X studio. How many conversations have we had with someone on the other side of the pond? Right. It was just here in America. Yeah. So, see, we haven't been doing it either. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, entrepreneurship is not just an American exactly. issue, and it's uh, international. And I, there should be Business Radio X studios well, in every country we, we Now we know them. Charles. Now so we know how to get it done. Listen, I was with JAG on Friday at uh, Thai Awards. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, right. yeah. an organization that gives awards for outstanding entrepreneurs in the Atlanta area. Um, and it was an extraordinary group of people. And uh, from... Uh, whose national origins were from around the world and who are involved in businesses. I mean, literally everything from a spa to, um, you know, the most cutting edge sort of technology. And it was extraordinary to see. And that's what we need to think about. Right. And that organization is a shout out to those folks as well. I mean, we do a lot of work with them. What a great group of folks. That's an organization that started out to serve the Indian entrepreneurial uh, community and has evolved because of a lot because of the success of that organization growing Absolutely. to expand to have a very diverse now membership that's well beyond the right. Indian American community. Correct, exactly. And the value system over there. I mean, you have to like you. you the charter members pay to do well, pay to do good. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Jack. I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the, what a, that really we should give them a shout out because they're doing tremendous work over so there. So now at the World Affairs Council, like what's the day to day kind of life of a person that's working over there? Like what's the mission is to kind of create a more global 
world, but you're here in Atlanta. So what what happens every day to well, do that? When, one of the first meetings I had when I came to Atlanta was with Jack Sheth, and he says, I spend all my day begging, and that's what you need to do as well, and that's true. <laughs> so when, fund, when, fundraising. Yeah, exactly. I can't, you can't put on the programs if you don't have the funding to put mm-hmm. on the programs. It's that simple. And so that's what we do. And we've got great programs coming up on women's leadership issues. I've got a program coming up on Global health? On global health, tying back into what Jag was talking about, on Atlanta as a center of global health. Mm-hmm. We do a summit every year. The focus this year, going back, again, it, it ties back in, is, is urban is cities and health, right? I mean, for the first time in the world's history, a majority of the world's population lives in cities now. And so what we're focusing on is how that impacts health, particularly in the developing world. So it turns out in places like Jakarta that digital medicine becomes more important because the traffic is so bad you can't get to the doctor's So like telemedicine is – Telemedicine, exactly. Correct. It's becoming very mainstream now, surprisingly. Uh, It's more prevalent outside of this country, again, just because of the lack of infrastructure or access problems. So we see more innovation coming from emerging economies for – Mainstream big yeah. markets like here, UK, Canada, reverse innovation because it's out of necessity. Out of necessity, right? They that's life or death. There, that's exactly. it's nice to have here. Exactly. I believe that's called yeah. the mother of invention. Right? Is that how it works? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so now, um, so every day you're talking to businesses here to help them grow. Is that part of what you're trying to do? Well, what I'm doing is dealing with businesses, not just here. So the global health conference we got. Coming on the the major sponsor is Novartis Foundation, which is based in Switzerland, and the woman who's the head of the foundation, who's a Belgian, is coming to our conference. Right, so that's what we're doing. I'm talking to people, getting sponsorship. So I, I mentioned some of the programs we've got coming up. I've got a, a huge program on Japan. Yes. Um, I've got the ambassadors of Colombia, Peru, and Chile coming together in November. Uh, I've got a program on Korea in November. So I'm getting finding the companies that are interested in doing business in Korea, doing business in South America, doing business with Japan, and getting them to sponsor it, and then to attract it so I can fill a big room and get people of any age to to think about these issues. Mm-hmm. And then so – what are people open to that? I mean, oh, people bet. are always looking for more, you know, more business. And you, would, stuff. you would think so. You would think so. But again, I'll go back to the, it's the, that fear of just attempting it. Like it seems too complex or chaotic. Is it's that, that it's never crossed their mind? So the blessing so is an awareness. I, it's awareness. hard for me to believe it's an awareness. It's an awareness thing. I'm going to tell you in the very first instance, obviously there are more challenges of doing business abroad. You got to worry about exchange rate. Uh, well, and tr- like and it, you've got to worry it's about hard po- enough for me to trust somebody in another, you know, 300 miles away that speaks my language. And now I'm going to trust somebody with money and, and intellectual property, you know, thousands of miles away that doesn't speak my we language. We need a longer program. I'm going to tell you how you can do it and how you can find people and, and find people who can represent your business. But you, you can do that and you can make money. I, one of the guys who, who is a member of the World Affairs Council and who speaks to my class, and uh, he, he builds turnkey hospitals around the world. And I asked him, I said, so, you know, why are you building hospitals in Brazil and China and Cote d'Ivoire and not in Pittsburgh and St. Louis? He says, because I make more money doing it. That's why. And that's what you want people to know. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. Not only possible, people are doing, doing it every day. You bet. So if you, if there's a business person out there listening to this, they should contact or get involved with the World Affairs Council. You bet. And then by doing that, that'll kind of give them the connections it'll open the doors it'll give them the education what are they going to what's the benefits for them for getting involved well first of all i mean i can't tell i'm not the guy to tell you how to do business in portugal right there are people who can tell you the exact steps on how to do that um that's not me but what i can tell you is here's the general what's going on around the world here are the issues the trends you need to be concerned about and i can put you in touch with the people who can help you figure out how to do business in a particular country right so you're like the connector yeah yep or and a catalyst the catalyst so you like that word better i like it better <laughs> <laughs> there's more action involved with catalyst <laughs> right and there's a value add <laughs> all right exactly so now what and, do you- and i got to say 
we're fortunate to have Dr. Sheth on our board. I mean, this is this this is my board meeting, right? I mean, I get <laughs> I, I get great ideas from fabulous people on my board. And then, uh, so he called you a catalyst. Tell me about Jag. I think Jag's extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, he he he's a treasure, um, a treasure for Atlanta. I you know, people when when he speaks, people want to come and they want to hear what he has to say. Um, and what his family foundation is doing is extraordinary. I, I'll give you one example. We, he brought one of his um, award winners here who had been a student at the University of Pittsburgh, right. um, a young woman in her 30s from um, Kosovo. Uh, Kosovo, thank you. And she went to university. Then she went back to law school at uh, the University of Pittsburgh, and she helped write the constitution of her country. And so I'm, I'm usually the moderator at our program. So I'm talking to this young woman. I mean, I mean, literally a very young, pleasant woman. And I said, so how much of what you drafted actually made it into the final constitution? And she goes, all of it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) All of it. That's a good resume builder, right? Writing a a constitution. It's it's pretty cool. She wrote the constitution for her country and she did it in part (laughs) because of Dr. Chef. And she's the chief of staff. For the president, she was asked to be stand for election. She got elected with large popularity. Mm-hmm. She is the interface between Kosovo and European Union because there is always this talk about integrating Kosovo into the European Union. So she is the liaison person. It's just see the talent. What what I like is that talent is at any age, not necessarily after experience maturity. And young people, when you watch the politicians in Eastern European countries or in Austria, they're all very young people. Unlike our system, we said age first, get experience, get to know the party, get to know the constituency. Uh, These people in their 30s are getting elected as the premier, the prime minister or ministers of nations. So now, um, how does that come about? Like, How how do you not have cynical young people that... um, you know, get frustrated or, you know, see so much bureaucracy, it seems like an impossible task to get anything done. In the U.S., we have both kinds. There's a group of young people who says, the way I can make a difference or a change is to be inside the political process. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, it is happening more and more with people who have been born here but to immigrant families. Right. Very similar to European immigration, where you came in as an immigrant, whether you were from Eastern Europe or Germany or England, wherever you came from, your children began to get integrated into the legal system, the political system, not just the occupation. And I think that is happening now with all of the immigrant populations coming from all over the world. But that's the kind of the unintended consequence. The benefit of bringing an immigrant population into a country is it re-energizes them because the parents exactly do what bad looks like and the people who have been here for a few generations don't maybe realize what bad looks like exactly you're so right that's a great point you're making first of all young people are looking into the future more than into the past uh they are they feel like they are blessed in some fashion right this is an opportunity opportunity the glass is is half empty like there's room to grow here for me absolutely right yeah so it's a it's a mindset it, re-ener- I, it re-energizes yeah. us. It re-energizes right. our And, and our we country. remember, yeah, things are pretty good here. We do have a lot of stuff here. So you have that group, right. which is not in the media as much. Right. The group that is going through. They're quietly doing their work, exactly. right? Under the radar. Precisely. But they're showing up and doing the work every day. I do want to make one comment before you go to Wolfgang. All if right, it's okay. go ahead. You know, I find there is nothing more powerful force in the world than entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is universal. It is the competitive advantage of a nation. It does not recognize gender. Women are as good entrepreneurs as men. does not recognize age. Young people are very entrepreneurial, as are more experienced people. Surprisingly, it does not recognize literacy. Very illiterate people are great entrepreneurs all over the world, and the top scientists are great entrepreneurs, you see? does not recognize faith. Every faith has entrepreneurs. To me, that universal force is what Adam Smith added as a fourth factor of production mm-hmm. in his Wealth of Nations book. 
It was land, labor, and capital. But he suddenly found that entrepreneurs, which are small mom and pop guys, really is what England is all about, which is very radical thinking. In right. Mind. And we added, but entrepreneurship goes back historically till the emergence of the civilized society. But so you think that's inherent in human beings is this Absolutely. desire Absolutely. to be productive yes. and to produce things that matter to other people and then in, uh, create some sort of an exchange. Exactly. Entrepreneurship starts by survival. Just to survive in right. harsh nature, you have to learn how to find tools, create tools. Today, entrepreneurship is not just for survival, but also for put, getting the potential out of people or mm -hmm. whatever it is. And ultimately, entrepreneurship borders into social entrepreneurship. How do I give back to the society? And that's an, and you believe that's a human trait as well, where people want to give back if they have the means to give back. Absolutely. I just gave an interview in one of the magazines in India where I said, making money without meaning is meaningless. Right. And I found people very wealthy if they have not contributed while they were making money, not at the end, are very lonely inside. And society, the community finds this is a person who has no inclination to give back. They shut the person out also. Right, because we're incident. social animals. Yeah, social animals. And then, but, and this is something that we see. We serve the small to mid-sized business community yeah. here and in the cities that we're in. We see business people, entrepreneurs, as this force for good. They're the catalysts, like you said. They're Absolutely. the ones that are giving back and sacrificing and taking risks. And it's hard to be what the media typically portrays a business person as a greedy exploiter. I'm not saying that, that there are none of those out there. But the typical business person yeah. is serving and trying to help and Absolutely. grow a community. And especially a small business. You can't survive being a greedy, exploitive business person in a small town. Right. Like you're not going to, you'll be out of business. Which is why all of our famous multinationals, let's mm -hmm. say Whirlpool Corporation, Kohler, I've been advisor to them. They are in small town headquartered mm -hmm. where the family, every Sunday church is a great equalizer. Right. Your neighbors are your managers. Their right. kids go to the same school as your right. kids do. So you have this informal boundary that is created. They are more accessible and they know there is something above them called God, whatever faith you belong to. So that makes them humble and you know, they, they really feel pressure of the community on them. And therefore, they become much more community-oriented, not just shareholder-oriented. Right. Biggest mistake we have made is take those companies away from them and re-headquarter them into capital markets like New York. IBM did that thing from Armank. Armank is where they should have been. But it's remote. Right. General Electric used to be in Schenectady, someplace. Uh, I, I really felt it when I went to Kohler and when I worked at uh, Whirlpool Corporation in a small town. Everybody lives in that town. Right. Your community belongs to you. It's a level of accountability that's exactly. subtle, and but it, right. you wouldn't think that it would occur, but it does. There's a lot of social pressure yeah, to right. behave, right? Right, right? Well, and that's what the business roundtable has just recognized. Exactly. Business Roundtable finally has come to that realization. Mm -hmm. 191 right. companies. Right, it was almost 200 companies, 200 companies. right. Uh, I do have a book. You have a book. Called uh, Forms of Endearment, uh -huh. which talked about how purpose and passion are important for profit. And we talked about five stakeholders, which led to the whole conscious capitalism movement. Right. It was one of the companies. I don't like to talk to the companies because their public relations will overwhelm me. <laughs> right. So I did my own research with my colleague. And one company I never knew came in the data ra radar, which is Whole Foods. Right. So John Mackey responded back to the manuscript we sent. And he and my colleague started the whole conscious capitalism movement which is now reflected into business round. Right. We were, were fortunate to broadcast live from their last okay. event in Arizona a okay. few months ago. Right. Yeah. So that, and they're trying to make an impact and you, they are making an impact. Making and that's, that's what breaks my heart about the media in general is they like to villainize the business person and the entrepreneur as a villain and exploiter and greedy. And it's just, that's not what I see every day. Correct. All right. So next up on the program, you ready for the headliner? I am. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast Dr. Wolfgang Schor. He is Associate Provost for International Initiatives 
here at the Georgia State University Office of International Initiatives. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So can you validate anything these guys have been saying for the last half hour? <laughs> Are we on track here, Wolfgang? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> uh, and what we're trying to do in the Office of International Initiatives at Georgia State University is, is really uh, you know, make this global awareness happen uh you know that the world affairs council ambassador Shapiro is trying to do you know with with business and the community here in in atlanta we want to make sure that our students are aware of what's out there and that they're able that they have the skills you know to function in this global marketplace so how's georgia state doing i think georgia state is doing really well uh we are of course in the right place uh to to do that um but uh you know we, we already you know, heard, you know, Georgia State has a very diverse student population and, uh, our population faces particular challenges when it comes to some of the, you know, classical ways of engaging, uh, with, with the world. And, and so, uh, despite of that, uh, we're, we're doing really well. Um, you know, one, you know, important, uh, way in which students can gain global experience is, of course, study abroad. Um, this past year, we sent over 1,200 students uh, to study abroad around the world, literally um, almost every uh, continent. And uh, for many, for most of those students, that really was the first uh, experience, perhaps even outside of the state uh, of Georgia. Yeah, I can speak personally. My son goes to school here, and because of, of Georgia State, he's gotten the chance to, he's been to Africa, Europe, he's going to Scandinavian countries next year. Uh, I was at Vietnam. He got to travel to all these countries through the study abroad program, and that's made a huge impact in him and his view world view. I mean, I I think it's almost like table stakes nowadays for having students do that. And I think Georgia State does a great job of making it affordable and encouraging it. That's that's great to hear. Actually, Georgia State. You know, Many years before I uh, arrived here in Atlanta to work at Georgia State, I had heard about Georgia State as the first university where the students voted to introduce an international education fee to help fund stipends uh, or mm -hmm. scholarships to go abroad. And that fee um, is still in existence. Uh, students are still approving it every uh, year. And it gives us uh, about $1.2, $1.3 million uh, a year uh, in scholarships for students that want to go abroad right and uh, uh, he has told me that this is just it's just like this is what people at georgia state do like it's just part of his peer group is like we're, we're going to do uh you know in the summer or the spring we're going to do a study abroad that's uh absolutely i i think um, not all of the students we certainly want more more <laughs> right, than to but, do that but it is has very much become i know when i was in college that wasn't the thinking we weren't encouraged to study abroad that wasn't something that my peers were doing but for him and his peers, that's what they do. Correct. So you're doing something right. Thank you. <laughs> so now what's your um, challenges? Like you're trying to get the word out to more of the students to take advantage of these great programs? We do. And, and we are making progress. So the, the number that I just uh, you know, mentioned this year has, you know, was a, uh, actually a 22% increase over the previous year. So we're wow. definitely heading in the right uh, direction. We're also getting more of our faculty uh, interested and involved in, in leading students to study abroad. Um, but even with all the scholarship funding and, and you know, just more awareness of these opportunities, um, we, we will not get 100% participation. Not all students right. will be able to go and, and study abroad. So we're, we're trying to focus on other ways in which students can gain these global experiences, uh, global skills. One of them um, is what we call virtual exchange. Uh, and that is a, a, a type of pedagogy uh, that where faculty in the classroom uh, have their students engage with students at a partner university could be around the world, you know, one of our partner universities, and uh, they engage in discussions, you know, perhaps in in a in a team uh, project, a joint presentation, or a case study. But it's like they're communicating like via video conference, or so they're each in their own country, but they're working together on kind of a, a the same problem. Correct, correct. And the beauty about it is there there are lots of different ways in in which to do that. There are lots of you know, platforms, technologies. It's all based on the internet, uh, social media, uh, but it could be as simple as a, a text message uh, to something more elaborate like a live video conference. Mm -hmm. 
So now you're, you're starting to implement that? We are. And a number of our faculties have done this independently in the past. What we're trying to do is, is to gather that expertise, uh, and uh, make more faculty aware of it, provide training and, and also allow faculty to reach out to colleagues uh, at these international partner universities to set up these arrangements. Now, uh, do you do events as well? We, we do, we do a lot of events, um, uh, on, on, on campus, uh, of course, to raise awareness of, of um, you know, global issues, um, you know, international cultural events. As a matter of fact, um, thanks to um, Professor Sheth's uh, award um, that he has uh, endowed here at Georgia State University, we will be holding an uh, international honorary reception uh, during International Education Week where we will present uh, the uh, international alumni and, and faculty awards uh, as well as a number of other awards um, that uh, we're giving out to students and, and other individuals. Now, how can the business community kind of tap into this? Well, I think uh, what what we're doing is important for the business in, uh, community in, in a number of ways. Number one, you know, if we're successful, we're training students that become employees that are globally competent and will help businesses, you know, uh, you know, reach out, uh, make some of these global uh, connections that we talked about earlier. But I think even more importantly, the the um, the, the skills that students gain by um, you know going abroad and you know, exposing themselves to um, unfamiliar environments and coping with you know difficulties, these are the skills that uh, that are really uh, universal uh, and will help any you know, business. Right. If they can survive three weeks there, they can do anything here. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So now, um, uh, Jack, before we wrap, I want to talk about the Sheth Lecture on Social Entrepreneurship. So we're talking a lot of international, but social entrepreneurship's at the heart of a lot of this, right? Absolutely. And I think it's surprisingly it is more needed because government budgets are unable to provide what we call social development. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., a lot of that responsibility was taken at one time by faith-based organizations. Right. Every religious order within Christianity, outside Christianity, always had some missions. Sure. Which was more social entrepreneurship. But today, for the first time, we see a business approach to social problem solving. That combination was not there before. So we have the start of these B corporations now, for example where you are certified in a certain way. So you have the C corporation or you have the LLCs or partnerships. And there's a new movement so you can create a corporation that is under the jurisdiction of a corporate law in some fashion, right? pretty much. And to me, that's very exciting. The B corporation? Yeah, the, B as in letter Right, boy, the right? benefit corporation. Yeah, benefit right. corporation. Uh, California, I think, already has started the movement. In England, I'm told, mm -hmm. we are trying to have through legislation uh, licensing. For right. B There's some B Corps here, based yeah. here. Correct. Right. So to me, that's clearly one thing. The biggest change I've seen as a professor and observer is that I think in high schools, especially in Georgia, but true all over the nation, when the high schools began to say that if you want to admit into a top university, most of the private or best state universities, like University of Illinois, Berkeley campus, UCLA, you know, whatever they are. The notion is that just having good AP courses, good GPA, four point something, it's not enough. Right. Do community service. Right. And I think that ethos created in high school age sticks with them. So when they come to colleges, they are now more interested. And these are talented people by definition. And it's part of the, this is just people like us do things like this, right? Yes. People like us give back. People like us serve the community. That's what entrepreneurs Pre do. Precisely. And and the new wealth that is created, especially with the technology world, Silicon Valley as we call it, it's a billions of dollars worldwide. I sat on the board of a company in India called Wipro, W-I-P-R-O. It went into technology, a soap company that went into technology, one of the top companies. The founder is now giving back $21 billion of his wealth, like Bill Gates, like Warren Buffett, you know, kind of stuff. I think if the money, they're more interested in people 
who have social cause or activity but as a business discipline. Right. So it has to kind of check both of those boxes, right? It has to be a a business, not a charity, that it's kind of self-perpetuating. Precisely. And it's doing good. Yeah. So then everybody can do well. It is true of private universities. They're all non-profit. Right. But they don't call themselves a social entrepreneur. Right. They are more general by and large. I think it's a great, great movement. And I think the movement will accelerate because it is more popular in countries where there are more problems. Right. Again, necessity. Necessity. So in India, you see social entrepreneurship, impact in capital is created. It's mind-boggling to see. And by the way, back to that book, Forms of Endearment, which led to conscious capitalism, during the downtime of 2008-2009, one of the fund managers, uh, investment banking type, actually created a fund using conscious capitalism as a base, and apparently they invest in companies that do well by doing serving the society, wow. you know, which is interesting. So, right. So it's more mainstream now. What used to be periphery is becoming more core. Right. And I'll that's make, good. That's good. And I'll make last comment, which is totally opposite. Generally, large corporations always created foundations to give the money back to the society, right? Every large corporation sure. has a foundation. Uh, Bill Gates Foundation, Melinda Gates, uh, Rockefeller Foundation, Ford Foundation, historically. Today, it's the opposite. Foundations are beginning to own private companies. Really? Absolutely. To change the mandate, you cannot be just shareholder-driven. You have to be Mm stakeholder-driven. So Hershey Chocolates is owned by a foundation. And it just goes on and on. So to me, they are so big now in terms of their wealth that they have under their jurisdiction as foundations, I think they are going to reform more the shareholder-driven obsession and capitalism, raw capitalism, or I call cowboy capitalism, you know. I think that is the one that's going to be more balanced now to say pick up social causes as a corporation, and you can do well by doing good. And then you're finding, so that's kind of replacing the um, religious groups that used to be the take that role. Now you're seeing the foundations that have kind of a social impact mindset that are taking on that role. Absolutely. And and surprisingly, if you are having the social enterprise model in your mind, countries welcome you. Right. If you want to have a shareholder mind, the company say you are here to exploit us. So globally, which is the theme of this conversation, it does much better. And mindset is at the heart of a lot of this. Absolutely. All right. Before we wrap, Wolfgang, if somebody wanted to get involved uh, with the Office of International Initiatives, what is the website coordinates, best way to get a hold of you? Sure. It's uh, international.gsu.edu. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. And Ambassador Shapiro, what's the best way to get a hold of the World Affairs Council? Uh, Go to our website, uh, wackatlanta.org. And then they can go and see events and see all the stuff you got. Get on our email list, come to our programs, and everybody's welcome. And then, Jag, if somebody wants to take your course or um, apply for some of these awards or get involved with the Chef Lecture, uh, what's the best way to find you? My nickname is Jag, as in Jaguar. So my email address is jag at jagsheth.com. And jagsheth.com, I have my own website. But they can also get in touch with me at Emory University, uh, which is also which is jagdish.sheth at emory.edu. Well, thank you all for sharing your stories today. You're doing important work and making real impact. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on GSU ENI Radio.